right, Francisco, let's start by introducing our audience to yourself as well as to Cortical.io. Um, yes, hello. I'm Francisco Weber. I'm uh, one of the founders and uh, the CEO of uh, the company Cortical.io, uh, which is uh, a, a startup originating uh, from Vienna, Austria. Um, and uh, we are working uh, in the domain of natural language understanding and have uh, developed our own uh, technology uh, for doing so and for rendering uh, text information. And based um, on that technology, uh, we are offering a certain number of uh, technologies and technical platforms uh, to the market. Uh, we have been starting very early, sort of, for a startup. It might uh, sound a long time, um, which is 2011. But uh, believe me, uh, setting up sort of uh, a company that uh, creates the technology uh, beneath the product uh, uh, itself uh, takes a little time, obviously. So, um, Francisco, I think the best thing would be um, if you could do kind of like a historical overview, brief, mm -hmm. but this historical yeah. overview of the natural language processing trajectory, um, mm -hmm. what is the prior art and where are you innovating? What is the approach that you bring to mm -hmm. the table that is unique and differentiated? Yeah, so uh, in this context, uh, my background is uh, from a domain that uh, previously, uh, in the old times of the years, uh, the early years 2000 was uh, called information retrieval. So it's uh, basically the technology behind uh, search engines and uh, zipping through a lot of uh, uh, text data. Um, and uh, what I've learned and practiced uh, there uh, basically is uh, what I would summarize under uh, uh, statistical modeling, basically. Uh, so uh, starting with uh, pretty uh, easy ways of sampling the data that uh, we want to work with, which in the easiest, uh, simplest case would be counting uh, the occurrence of words in a document uh, and in a collection. Um, and uh, on one hand, it is uh, fascinating to see that that approach actually delivers a certain amount of results and, and, and a certain quality of those results. Uh, but uh, by uh, working a lot in the domain, I, I realized very early that that is not the uh, sort of solution to the problem that we need to compute uh, with language uh, data, with the meaning of language data. Um, and in the, year, in the year 2005, I uh, became for the first time aware of the research um, of a Californian brain researcher, uh, uh, Jeff Hawkins. Uh, you might know him uh, mm -hmm. from the Silicon Valley Times, sort of. Um, and uh, what made him so interesting is that he came up with a computational theory of the human neocortex. So, and that was, to me, the first time I uh, encountered someone uh, actually uh, uh, talking in theoretical terms uh, about uh, the brain. And uh, the theory he had built so far, so that's uh, an ongoing project, um, was uh, extremely impressive to me because it could actually explain a lot of uh, brain phenomenon that we know of and where we didn't actually know uh, how they could be mapped. Um, and I took 
that uh, theory basically saying like, uh, okay, Jeff is right uh, with the theory. What does this mean uh, for language? Um, and that basically sets the proper, um, I would say, um, uh, constraints to the problem uh, to actually guide me to a solution, I would uh, say for now, uh, which turned out to be a non-statistical way of rendering uh, the, the representation of, of, of language elements. Um, and uh, with that uh, sort of fundamental step of finding a way in rendering the information differently, uh, it turned out that many problems you typically have, like disambiguating language, for example, finding out that organ can either be a part of your body or a musical instrument, um, that is very computationally intensive if you need to do this purely on uh, statistics. Uh, but it becomes like uh, a side effect uh, if you choose the representation of text uh, in what we today call semantic fingerprints, uh, where that becomes sort of a, a trivial Boolean operation, uh, basically, to uh, discriminate those two cases. Um, so basically, with that uh, discovery, uh, we uh, were lucky enough to get uh, uh, some research funding in Austria to basically build a, uh, a prototype with commercial intention behind it. Uh, and uh, we could, in within a half a year, already demonstrate uh, that many um, traditional statistical modeling features were available on that platform too, but at a very easy sort of uh, um, and, and efficient way in the implementation and with an astonishing degree uh, of um, um, sort of resistance to noise and all these features that you would normally expect uh, in the brain. Yeah? So missing data, noise in the data is close to no problem for the way how we uh, work uh, with this data compared uh, to uh, statistical systems. So... Um uh, yeah. Francisco, let me let me interrupt you for a second and let me try to understand the technology a bit better. I understand yeah. where I mean I understand completely the statistical approach versus more of a semantic modeling mm -hmm. approach. Uh, how do you start? So you get a let's say you get a data set. How, how does this begin? Yeah, so the, the one big problem that we have uh, in statistical representations is that we lack something like semantic grounding. So there is no fundamental ground truth to which we can tie uh, the features and properties of what we uh, want to represent. Mm -hmm. uh, and in our approach, uh, we basically model what the brain does by the continuous saving of all the experiences. Yeah? So since your moment of birth, Basically, every um, experience that you had uh, got uh, stored in the neocortex, let's say, in a sort of an associated method where mm -hmm. you end up uh, with a large pattern that uh, basically had, has the weight set to what your model of reality is. And we were able to sort of synthetically produce that uh, semantic space, as we call it, uh, by ingesting reference information. So uh, contrary to the statistical method that tries to train a model based on the actual payload data, so the data you want to work with, uh, mm -hmm. we train the model 
based on the same things that we that humans do. We take uh, textbooks, encyclopedias, reference uh, uh, works. They uh, get compiled um, into sort of the language level grant truths uh, for a specific use case, for example. So you want to create a, a system that understands uh, medical prescriptions. So we don't train it on medical prescriptions, but we train it on textbooks and medicine. Okay. Okay. That's that's the first step. And once we have that uh, sort of world knowledge uh, uh, in the system and ha have it uh, become uh, the standard to all the representations, we generate for every word or every sentence or every paragraph or every document, we generate uh, a binary representation which corresponds to the distribution of topics according to our grand truth map. And that happens sort of uh, fully automatically. And uh, uh, that uh, arrangement of that map is computed, and that's the only machine learning part at that level. Um, that map is actually uh, of the sort that two items that are similar in their meaning, so for example, sports car, uh, and the word Ferrari, uh, mm -hmm. if you render the fingerprints of both of them, you will see that, for example, 60% of their features overlap, means they have, for 60%, they have the same features, so they have a big overlap, indicating that these two words uh, are similar, at least in the context where they overlap, which I can also um, inspect. Yeah? Um, and this is done by a simple uh, overlap measure, which is sort of with a, a Boolean comparison. It's sort of the fastest thing you could uh, possibly do on a microprocessor. So as you can imagine, that uh, is very fast. So I can do uh, uh, a half a million of those comparisons per second on my laptop. Uh, so it's a very performant way uh, to actually do uh, at least medium-level depth uh, semantics um, on text. And mm -hmm. that is what turned out to be, uh, so initially, of course, when you go into machine learning, especially with text, uh, it's all about uh, accuracy, precision, recall, those measures. Uh, but by, and that was a decision that we made uh, very early on, is that we could not and wanted not uh, to engage into the uh, let's say, more academic uh, benchmarking and comparing with other approaches and so on. We were set up to be a company and we said, okay, uh, we need to prove uh, the meaningfulness of our technology uh, with actual use cases and we have to go out there and just try uh, fix someone's problems with our technology. Um, and uh, there we were lucky enough uh, to uh, have uh, quite some interest from uh, a number of uh, very early adopters, so that was in the year uh, 2016, uh, where uh, a very large uh, New York bank uh, came to us and said, okay, we have these number of use cases, um, and we have tried all of the big players um, uh, in the sector, and none of them could actually provide us with a good way of doing this. Uh, a good way always means when you speak about uh, sort of large-scale text work uh, with as little as possible human intervention, yeah? because that's basically what takes time and what costs uh, a lot of money. 
And uh, so, for example, uh, a use case was to ingest uh, some 100,000 uh, credit agreements um, and find out uh, which of them uh, are not complying with the current uh, sort of uh, compliance requirements uh, from the regulator. Uh, so if you have no sort of um, uh, machinery, uh, you have to get uh, a couple of hundred uh, attorneys and have them read through it uh, and make them sort of tag uh, sectors of certain documents where there might be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal was to basically generate a system that uh, could be easily trained in doing this and then could be applied with uh, a very small footprint uh, to a collection of 100,000 um, documents. Um, yeah, and that was basically uh, what we did. And we took the advantage that um, our semantic representation has a much higher semantic payload in it than a simple statistical um, sort of uh, uh, sampling would have. And it turned out that if we trained uh, things like LSTMs, for example, uh, with the fingerprint representation, we need orders of magnitude less training data to do so, Mm -hmm. Uh, which in the end translates uh, to a situation where uh, we could ask a person, for example, to hand annotate something like 50 documents and the system could already pick up the characteristics. So the typical content, the position, the typical context where uh, a paragraph containing this would appear that uh, uh, we could demonstrate that uh, with at least 50 and then with 100 uh, examples, the system could be trained to perform even better than a human would. Mm-hmm. Especially if the human would have to annotate 100,000 uh, documents, you know, there's right. a whole other uh, problematic uh, situation. Yeah? Um, yeah. yeah, and so uh, that was like one of some 10 uh, use cases we were uh, confronted there. Um, and they decided to license the technology as, as sort of crude as it was at the time um, uh, to uh, continue experimenting uh, with it. And so came a, a, a bunch of other uh, large players uh, uh, where, who allowed us basically uh, to work on very specific commercial use cases uh, in the domain of uh, finance, uh, in, the, in the domain of petrochemistry, for example, or uh, car manufacturing. So that was something that uh, we saw very quickly. Um, there was no obvious sort of vertical domain in business terms where what we have would apply. It was rather um, the kind of use case that became sort of the vertical. Yeah? So we found what out, were the for big example, use cases? Besides, you mentioned one in this bank. What other use cases were recurring in your themes? Yeah, so in the end, by, by doing these practical sort of uh, pioneer work, if you want, uh, we ended up with the, the use case of extracting information um, from contracts or from documents in more general form. Mm-hmm. Um, a second uh, Meanwhile, product is uh, for fast uh, text data, which means uh, messages, those from tweets to mails to uh, uh, social media posts, uh, stuff that comes in at a very high uh, frequency with a typically uh, rather poor language. But still, you want to find out um, 
uh, are people complying to the site rules or are people complaining on the customer service lines uh, about a certain product uh, and so on. So this is uh, message intelligence, we call this today, uh, a system that allows you to um, specify by example. Yeah? Uh, so here are 50 examples of emails, how people complain uh, with us. Uh, yeah. If you ever see something like that, uh, send it to that uh, the, the complaint desk, for example. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, and uh, these things, the problem there is uh, you can to some degree uh, also do this statistically. Uh, I say to some degree because there are, as far as I know, no uh, really strong uh, systems out there, but theoretically you could. The problem is that every single filter you implement uh, can cost you the price of a couple of business servers uh, per month to just run that one classifier uh, at the required uh, speed. Um, so we found out that actually what was uh, sort of the blocking uh, situation in the market was uh, the price per filter that you have. If you could drop actually the price per filter to uh, a couple of cents, suddenly people who do have in large enterprises uh, hundreds of those uh, filters, who need hundreds of those filters, could suddenly start thinking about actually doing it. Yeah? Um, and the third uh, component uh, that we offer as a product is a search system that uh, you can imagine that uh, fundamentally like um, Elasticsearch, for example, but it's not using statistics um, to actually index the data. Um, it uses, again, uh, the semantic representation. And you can do things, for example, like uh, typing in a, a, an English query uh, into a Spanish uh, uh, collection of documents, and you will still find precisely what you look for. Because one aspect is, for example, that the semantic representation uh, is independent of the actual language. It's only dependent of the meaning of whatever has, has been expressed uh, in that language. Um, yeah, so these are um, the, the three sort of uh, products that we offer. Um, and we find ourselves uh, with each of those products uh, in many different uh, business areas, sort of, uh, where this so can become useful. Let me ask you a few different questions that come to mind mm -hmm. as I'm listening to you. Firstly, mm -hmm. you said a, a, a New York bank came to you, a large New York bank came to you. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? How did they know about you? Or, or how did that happen? I mean, a large New York bank uh, doesn't yeah. come to a random company, right? Absolutely. Very good question. Uh, so, in fact, they had a team that was supposed to be their spearhead in AI technologies. Uh, and so they had a bunch of uh, sort of experts who were scanning the market. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time, we were a tiny little company, uh, you know, far away in Austria. So the only way uh, uh, for us uh, to reach out was basically me uh, buying one around the world ticket after the other and doing little things like uh, meetups and, and, and small, uh, sort of small-scale uh, conference presentations and things like that, uh, and just explain literally. Uh, I mean, at that time, we had no product in the classical sense. I simply explained uh, in more detail than I can do now in, in this interview um, mm -hmm. how the system works, basically. And it has such an intuitive simplicity 
so that even business people could. So they told me afterwards, yeah, it, it's completely logic that this works. This has to work. That's the kind of. So somebody um, from that bank, uh, bank's artificial intelligence research group heard exactly. you speak at a conference or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, and and. But one has to say they were they were looking for this. Yeah. So it was not. Right. Was not right. Right. Science. They were looking for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, so your other customers also, similar kinds of things happened? There were groups of people looking for this kind of technology and they were coming to you or did you do something else to get these other customers? Well, we then uh, uh, have also grown our then still smallish uh, marketing uh, activities. And so we step by step uh, got the attention at certain events. And so from uh, people uh, working in large companies and going to those events about AI, about uh, 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 all, uh, surrounding big data, it was very much called in, in 2016. Uh, um, uh, and so I presented at all possible events. We made uh, um, articles in newspapers and so on. And for that, we got individual people from large companies who were precisely seeking. And those were mostly... Um, the early adopters. I mean, they have been seeking yep. for AI technologies on themselves already. Right, right, right. Um, and, and, and mostly they have done because they have very specific high pressures in certain areas. Yes, uh, use cases that they want to solve yeah. with AI. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then what they did is, of course, uh, the first thing was to try out all the big providers. Uh, but the problem there was that some of those big providers, you know, Google and so on, they rather provide a base technology and you still need someone who, needs to, who knows to implement this and you need someone uh, who knows to properly um, analyze the use case. So yeah. what most of those companies did was sort of uh, slow and large projects, but I think it was crucial for them to just learn um, how this is done. Nobody exactly knew uh, at the yeah. time how this worked. So very um, explorative uh, situation, and our setup, being a small, agile uh, tech team, uh, was quite convenient, and we could uh, sort of win uh, a number of those use cases by just being the only ones being actually able to solve it, for example, yeah? because mm -hmm. all the others had at some point to give up because things you would have had to, uh, uh, for example, enter 20,000 product names and descriptions in an ontology. Yeah? So we don't yeah. need that kind of work. We do that uh, sort of um, um, automatically. Uh, automatically, basically. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Now, um, besides the use cases that you have productized, are you also opening up your platform to other developers to build use cases on top of your technology? Uh, absolutely. That's, uh, I would say that's the whole idea behind all of this. So uh, our current strategy uh, in building, on the one hand, bridgeheads into certain markets, uh, is one aspect because, uh, especially for a, a controversial, let's just say, technology um, like ours, so we are definitely not using uh, standard uh, ways of doing things, uh, uh, it, it becomes even more important to prove that we have some traction as a company. So people are paying money for, for getting this. That's one proof uh, you need to provide. Um, the other is, of, on, on, uh, uh, of course, 
fundamentally, our product is completely agnostic of a specific business area. As long as, what, as the, the business value is formulated in text, uh, it should be applicable. Yeah? Um, so, uh, of course, uh, we uh, built our stuff in a way that uh, we, we ended up having a platform. That in fact, we do already have a platform, uh, but a platform to be used by uh, a community of developers needs more than just a technical platform. It also needs kind of a, an engine around it to make sure that uh, people can really have an easy access and easy uh, trying it out. Yeah, so uh, in, in, a, in a near time in future, it's planned to uh, open this up because of course, we will definitely never be able to uh, cater uh, all use cases that would be a match out there. Yeah? Right. Um, and right. I think, no, this is uh, uh, the, uh, everything I've listened to so far, it seems like this company needs to be scaled as a platform, as a service company, more than a pure vertical, pure solution company. Uh, absolutely. Interestingly enough, uh, uh, a big group in the... Uh, I'll say, uh, in the community of people who are doing this, namely investors, mm -hmm. uh, many of them prefer you, especially in an A round or in a rather early round, uh, to show focus. Yeah. So oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah. it's a bit of a problematic situation when... No, it's not problematic. I think it's, is, it's is, the way these company, platform as a service companies typically get built with one type of solution built on the platform and then later you open it up for other use cases and other types of products to developers. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's very common. It has become yeah. the proven way to go to market for a platform yeah. as a service company. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think you have a much bigger potential than within a specific vertical or a specific use case. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, as we, as we actually tackle the problem uh, at the very fundamental level, uh, we also have the advantage that, therefore, uh, it fits all <laughs> the dependent use cases. Yeah? So uh, extracting uh, a specific information from a document, uh, it was ob an obvious case with contracts and documents, uh, but it can uh, also be, uh, I don't know, any other kind of document, scientific uh, documentation, for example, uh, or uh, medical study reports, uh, yeah, you name it. Uh, um, so currently, most of the interest uh, that we see comes uh, from insurance companies and, and, and banks. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. All their products and all their business interaction is based on language, yeah? So the, the mm -hmm. product is basically a description of a statistical insurance model that they have. Yeah, That's and it's like product. huge so, piles and piles and piles of documents yeah, and absolutely. contracts yeah. and, and, and every transaction is like five, five contracts and addenda and I don't know what. Um, yeah. Same thing is, for example, um, um, with the very large companies, and we uh, just uh, got a customer there, um, in, in Europe, uh, I can even name them, it's uh, Siemens, uh, where companies of that size, I mean, they have literally like 300,000 employees. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can imagine the documentation behind yeah. a business engine with so many people is so large. So they have millions and millions and millions of documents, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem in such a situation is that all of these documents 
talk about and use the language mostly that is relevant to their business domain. So it will all be about, you know, engineering and uh, uh, technical uh, projects and stuff like that. The problem that you get with this is that a word like, I don't know, transducer uh, becomes a stop word in their world because Mm -hmm. every, I don't know, hundred document contains that stop word. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the problem is that the discriminability, yeah, dividing apart two documents on a statistical uh, level is very hard. Uh, so there is even yeah. some science saying it's impossible at that scale. So the traditional uh, full-text indexing uh, works well as long as you stay uh, below, let's say, two, three million documents. Yeah? But once you are in the 50 million document space, uh, there might be something like 25% of the documents that are not selectable by any query you could post. Yeah? Mm-hmm, so that's, mm-hmm. uh, and the only way out of this is that you not only take into account uh, the presence of certain words, but you take into account the patterns of meanings that are behind, because that's exactly yeah. what humans would differentiate the documents. Yeah? Right. Uh, all right. So, and just, I understand, yeah. the, I understand the, all of these very well, and I understand the impact of it. Let me ask you a few slightly different kinds of questions. Firstly, how did you build the business? So you started in 2011. You started to develop the technology around 2016. You got your first major bank customer. What's the trajectory? And between 2011 and 2016, how did you finance the company? We basically mostly financed it uh, with an angel investor on one hand. Uh So we also were non-typical on our investment path. Uh, So we started with an angel investor who, as we went on, got also more and more fascinated about the potential uh, mm-hmm. and sort of become an investor, uh, and so he continued uh, investing. Um, and the other end uh, of the revenue scale was basically uh, selling uh, our services where we were using our then library to solve certain use cases. Not all of mm-hmm. them were production grade, so some of them were just, uh, yeah, the companies wanted to do some exploration to see on a small scale uh, how whatever the automation on some inbound mail, how, how well it would work. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and basically there we got maybe in a mix of, um, I would say, uh, maybe 70 to 30. So 70% um, was revenue from uh, service, uh, from work, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And 30% were sort of development licenses that we gave to uh, AI teams at those companies and they kept uh, playing with it uh, further. And then we had a number uh, of three or four systems who were actually built for production. Um, And yeah, so that basically allowed us to slowly grow to the size um, of about 33 people uh, we are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is still super tiny. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, what it also shows is uh, we can handle uh, four or five uh, customers concurrently with that team uh, thanks to the efficiency of um, our approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of 
some angel financing, a lot of bootstrapping using services, and then now you are at a point where you also have production-grade product systems. Absolutely. So the, the, the big sort of pivot was in 2019 mm-hmm. uh, when we decided that our current frameworks were uh, stable enough and mature enough to actually uh, boil them down into uh, specific products. Um, and uh, we were also lucky to get uh, uh, an investment round uh, with a company called Xilinx. You probably know that uh, a whole other sort of arm of this because it turns out that using FPGA hardware, we can speed up uh, our algorithms, which are already pretty fast, but we can speed, speed them up a number of orders of magnitude further. Yeah, so really? as I oh, said in the wow. beginning. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, invested it, in the company. Yeah, and so we, we were uh, lucky enough to convince Xilinx that uh, it made sense to uh, develop designs on FPGAs uh, who actually speed up uh, our, um, um, uh, for example, the mail filter. Yeah? I mean, on software, I can run on a business server I can run, I don't know, uh, a million mails uh, per day through it uh, easily. But mm-hmm. what if the same application would be used at the data center of a telco provider and they need to run a billion uh, emails? Mm-hmm. Through, yeah? So then uh, the, the cost per filter um, becomes very relevant. Uh, and then having a specialized hardware there, and that's, by the way, a trend you can observe anyway on the AI market currently, that yes. people are trying to find a more efficient hardware because things started yes. to get expensive. Yes, yeah? yes, yes, yes <laughs> uh, definitely. To pay, to pay $10 million for a GPT-3 model, it's, it's not everybody's uh, size of shoes. Yeah? Right. Um, so it turned out by accident sort of that uh, we bet on a, on a good, um, on a good uh, uh, horse there, and we created uh, a product prototype uh, for our filter system as a complete appliance where you would basically get uh, a 1U uh, system. We partnered with, uh, uh, with Supermicro for that uh, and basically can deploy that functionality um, also in an accelerated uh, fashion. As we are not yet with the very big accounts uh, 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 there, it hasn't become a burning uh, thing, but it's definitely something where on the midterm, I mean, just think of uh, uh, hate speech detection for uh, Facebook. Yeah? I mean, just imagine mm. how much uh, computing power they would need uh, to find out uh, the, the subtle hate speech that could uh, occur uh, in like 90 languages. So, so Facebook so doesn't have any, uh, any of this kind of technology? Um, no, I mean, that was another lesson I've learned uh, very early. <clears throat> um, in the very beginnings of our technology, I went, of course, and knocked on all the, the doors of uh, uh, Google and Apple and Facebook and Twitter and, and so on. Uh, but what I had to see is that at that point, uh, they were not waiting for a little company from Austria to offer them something substantial. Yeah? So it's super mm-hmm. hard <laughs> to basically uh, even trigger some awareness. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember I, I met uh, uh, people at the uh, product manager at uh, Twitter at the time, um, and they were desperately looking for a business model. 
Yeah? Um, and I said, look, I, I mean, it's just an idea I had, but uh, what if you could provide uh, business customers uh, 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 personalized uh, feeds of your fire hose only with tweets that are relevant to their, yeah, so I don't know, uh, uh, provide to Nokia every tweet that is about mobile phones so that they mm-hmm. can do analytics on it or whatever. Yeah? If you try to do this with state-of-the-art, pretty expensive. Yeah? Even for a company like Nokia to do this with 20,000 messages a second, you need to be, uh, you have you need to have a strong system to do this. Uh, and I could and probably still can demonstrate that I can run a firehose filter on my notebook using our approach. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, uh, as we were not uh, well-known, well-established, uh, and so on, it was close to impossible to get some sort of deeper attention. And my belief is, uh, the more commercial success uh, we show, and yeah, I see this happening It's a matter right of building credibility. Yeah, it, it, Francisco, it, how, what, is the, yeah. what is the total amount of financing you've put in so far? So currently, uh, we are where we are with uh, roughly 14,000 euros, uh, 14 million, sorry, euros. 14 million um, euros, okay. Yeah, so as you can see, a, a pretty lean very uh, first, Very first, first phase. Um, and your full team, the 33 people are all in Vienna? Uh, no, so we have our um, development team is in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a customer success team in New York because our earliest large customers were sort of uh, East Thanks. Coast U.S customers mm-hmm. um, and part uh, of our management uh, is uh, on, on the West Coast. Uh, so we are sort of scattered between uh, Europe and um, Europe and US. America. Okay, got it. Now, um, what is the, uh, the two questions I have actually. One is about whom do you see in deals when you're trying to do these uh, large deals with large customers? Who else is showing up in those deals? What other alternatives are these customers considering? On, on the side, ah, you mean competitive in, in competitive yes, terms? Yes, competitive, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as, as I said, uh, most um, of, of our activities are currently in the field around uh, um, sort of uh, intelligent documents and yep. uh, intelligent uh, message uh, uh, processes. Uh, and so interestingly, in the beginning, we saw a lot of the you know, IBM Watsons and, and Microsoft uh, Lewis and those kind of uh, systems uh, to appear there. Uh, nowadays, it's mostly um, um, companies who have very specific solutions. Yeah? So uh, if, we, uh, if we battle for a, a customer uh, complaint filtering system, we find ourselves next to companies who just produce that co- customer complaint uh, functionality. Mm-hmm. Um, we have typically the advantage that we are quicker in bootstrapping a solution than traditional systems are in configuring it. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a second big advantage is we are not bound to a certain model. In fact, uh, the user, the, even the subject matter expert, not even a technical user, as the customer can create uh, his model. 
So mm -hmm. that becomes important, especially for um, enterprises who are sort of a bit matured because they know that it's a lot of effort normally to train a model. Uh, yeah. And once you have done the effort, you want to own it. But uh, a company that actually licenses you a pre-computed model, they never have you own the model. Yeah. Right. So, right. Uh, so the model to... can be a competitive advantage. So the fact that you allow people to develop their own models is a big competitive yeah. advantage for, Ab absolutely. for customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now, it, it, um, it's a more yeah, it's a more systematic way of sort of step by step digitizing all sorts of processes um, in in the enterprise. Yeah. And, now, and, um, maybe one footnote is, of course, uh, in 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 the very recent times. Uh, we find often uh, uh, companies from the RPA sector basically uh, try Robotics. and compete. Uh, mm -hmm. at that, exactly. Yeah. But they are specialized more in the uh, sort of robot part and less in the actual sort of understanding part of the actual message. So they tend to, be, to have weaknesses uh, there too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, um Talk to me a little bit about the data infrastructure that you're drawing from. So when, mm -hmm. you, when you get like these fire hoses of tweets and stuff, what kind of databases are you encountering? Are we talking about Snowflake? Are we talking about Cassandra? What, what are we seeing in the bottom? Well, we typically uh, rather attach to business systems. So we speak to a SharePoint repository, for example. Um, or we get REST calls from some to us opaque uh, process that provides us with documents and messages. Uh, or what we see in specialized cases, for example, in the contract uh, area is that mm -hmm. we have to speak to contract lifecycle management systems. Yeah, so like what the they actually use, what, what kind of database they use is very often opaque uh, to us. Oh, thank uh, but you. we have yeah. those the, we have those enterprise sort of uh, uh, connectors that we need to basically connect to the major enterprise systems. Yeah. Got it. Okay, very good. Um, I think I've I've more or less understood what you're doing. It's it's fascinating mm -hmm. and it's very very interesting. I I love your story and I'm all, yeah. I also love the fact that you're doing this out of Vienna. You know, it's it's great to see something yeah. happening really at cutting edge in in a different part of. The, by the way, I love Vienna. Yeah, <laughs> me too. That's why I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Well, Francisco, what is your email? Let's just a second. Let me cut the recording and then I'm going to uh, talk to yeah. you for one second, just a moment. <laughs>